It's S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live episode 21 with host Buck Henry and musical guest Gordon Lightfoot originally aired on May 22nd, 1976. It's again me, Keith, and with me as always is Matt. Happy Saturday night to you and the thousands at home. Yes, absolutely. And uh, and with both of us is returning since uh, making the return from the since the Anthony Perkins episode. It's our good buddy, Sean. Hello, Sean. Hey, glad to be back and sort of fitting the return with doing an interview with Buck Henry, I guess, who's this is his second time. Yeah, that's right. Hosting. Yeah. Kindred spirits. Yeah. Uh, Buck Henry, writer, comic, actor, director, originally appeared on episode 10 in January of 76. And he's back. Between his last appearance and this one, he appeared in David Bowie's film, The Man Who Fell to Earth, as Oliver Farnsworth. Matt, you're a Bowie fan. Did, do you like that movie? I love The Man Who Fell to Earth. Of course, it's weird. It's wonderful. I think Nicholas Rogue directed it. Check it out. Keith, please hit me with the Buck Henry scores from the previous episode, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Our last Buck Henry episode got a six from me, a six from you, and a six from D. So we averaged out as a six on that one. Curious indeed. Looking forward mm-hmm. to comparing at the end of the show. So uh, earlier that week, uh, earlier in the week of May 22nd, uh, the previous Sunday, I suppose, were the 1976 Emmys. And uh, yeah, Saturday Night Live picked up a few Emmys. Lorne got ex- outstanding producer for producing an outstanding comedy, variety, or music series. Dave Wilson got one uh, for directing the Paul Simon episode. The writers for the Elliot Gould episode, Edie Baskin and Bob Pook for the graphic design and title sequences, and Chevy Chase for performing in the Buck Henry episode. So, yeah. Smashing for a first season. Mm-hmm. Hey, what did you think about the Paul Simon episode winning for directing? Oh, uh, it struck me as strange because it was a lot of... Uh, the cameras weren't moving as much, I guess is a fair way to put it. <laughs> because um, I think award shows like that are pretentious. I like to imagine it's, they were in awe of the subtlety. That's what yeah, I think old so. people committees think like. <laughs> I, I would like to think that they were like, oh, we should give it for best director. Uh, you know, just pick an episode of a hat. And they just reached in, grabbed an episode. Oh, no, the Paul Simon one. All right, let's let's put that in the nomination. <laughs> let's throw that one in there. No one's going to ever give that an award for anything yeah. else. <laughs> So we have our cold open, and Chevy Chase comes out wearing a cast with crutches. He apologizes for not doing the fall because he hurt his leg accepting his Emmy. Chevy says that uh, everyone else on the show has been great about his winning the Emmy, even though they didn't. And because he can't do the fall, Lorraine Newman is going to come out and do it instead. Now, Chevy says that uh, Lorraine is not trained, and she is a woman. And because of that, she won't won't do so well, uh, because women aren't built to take falls like that. Lorraine comes out and thanks Chevy for the opportunity. She pulls the crutch and Chevy falls over into a card table onto the floor, gives the live from New York at Saturday night. This was, uh, this was not bad to, for me. I, I kind of enjoyed this one. Me too. I liked it. Chevy is uh, so good when he's smarmy, dickhead Chevy Chase. Gee, I wonder why it's come so naturally to him. <laughs> yeah, he, he just nails it. And Lorraine Newman was funny. She just went out there and did her business. The fall I thought looked good. I liked this. You sort of saw it was it was coming, but still appreciated it nonetheless. For sure. And there is somebody in the audience that hisses when he says women are not built to fall like that. <laughs> yeah. 
Everybody loves a heel getting their comeuppance. And the fall looked even worse because, like, not only did he crash off the car table, he fell down, like, a couple steps, too. Like, Yeah, he hits that concrete well. Yeah. So we go into the uh, title cards, and it goes through the host and all the cast, but it also lists uh, Saturday Night Live head writer, for the lack of a better term, Michael O'Donoghue, returning as uh, his as an impressionist. This occurred on the last Buck Henry episode as well. Buck Henry monologue. He's announced, but he doesn't come out. Director Dave Wilson Director Dave Wilson goes up on stage and looks around for him, but Buck is nowhere to be found. Lauren Michaels joins him on stage. They call Belushi to uh, open the show while Lauren goes looking for Buck. And then Lauren goes backstage and the camera follows him. Now the cast is dressed in elaborate costumes they never use. This cuts back and forth between Lauren going down the elevator and Belushi giving a list of things he hates about the show and trying to be the host. We jump to the NBC Rockefeller Center, whatever it is, uh, security desk, and it's George Coe. He will not let Buck pass because he doesn't have a, a security pass. Lauren insists that he's a host, but the security guard says he is no star. This man is not a star. He's no Raquel Welch. Lauren walks Buck to the stage. They interrupt Belushi, who is annoyed um, now that he's being cut off. The band reluctantly restarts the theme. Buck comes down the stairs to start, but he is out of time. This was actually probably my most enjoyable bit to, to occur during the monologue section. I absolutely love this. I think if it was anybody else but Lauren Michaels, I think the bit would have done better. I found that the banter between him and the security guard just didn't like jive well. And I think had you had just somebody else who could pick up cues or, or, or improv uh, a little better, that, that scene would have flowed nice. The payoff was great in the end with the, having the short monologue and, and even just cutting back to a John Belushi just sort of getting irate about certain characters and such was, was pretty funny. But I, I, I thought Lorne Michaels was the one weak point in that whole uh, bit. I really liked Belushi up there uh, mockingly doing the fall. Uh, that got a big laugh out of me. <laughs> uh, I totally understand what you mean about Lauren. There is a there is an awkwardness to him, but uh, I, I just I think it works for the show. I, I, it almost embraces that later. But I mean, it, it is. There's no doubt it's he's he's there's something a little off putting about him for sure. But I guess I find it slightly charming. But yeah, anyway, I, I thought the whole thing was great when Buck came and he <laughs> so he crossed his arms. Uh, I, I've been looking forward to this episode. He's a preferred host of mine so far. I also looked into it. I guess this joke is actually based off of true events. I guess yeah, very uh, much so. Yeah, yeah. I guess not. Not only did uh, Buck Henry have issues, so did Dan Aykroyd at one point trying to mm -hmm. get through. Like a, a few of them actually. Yeah, there was actually uh, when they made the Beatles offer. When he made the Beatles offer and uh, thought the Beatles might actually show up, they apparently sent Neil Levy down to the security desk to wait in case the Beatles showed up because they didn't think the security guards would, would know who be the Beatles were. <laughs> Our next sketch is Peter Lemon Mood Ring, and this was written by Michael O'Donoghue, and it features Chevy as a lounge singer, and uh, it's an ad for uh, either an album or a live tour. He plays uh, Peter Lemon Mood Ring, and anytime Peter sings a song with a color in it uh, through the magic of, I guess it'd be chroma key maybe, he turns that color. So uh, tie a yellow ribbon, he turns yellow. Uh, tangerine, he turns tangerine. Um, didn't like this. This was uh, kind of a dead one for me. Oh, so stupid. So like, it's like the guy just like was fiddling around with a monitor and he 
was stoned and he saw the colors change and he thought of this stupid joke. It was really bad. Um, Chevy didn't save it. And the audio was terrible. Uh, half the time I could, uh, there was like mixing problems. He was singing over him talking. But it was just a mess. Mess. Yeah, it was It was a weak start, uh, your, your, your first sketch being that. Incidentally, my one-year-old was sitting on my lap watching this and he loved it. He thought oh, it was great. <laughs> and they, they think they think later that you have to differentiate between PBS and Saturday Night Live. <laughs> this is <Yeah>. what <laughs> required. Our next sketch is Samurai Taylor, and this was written by Alan Zweibel. Um, it again features Samurai Futaba and Mr. Dantley. Um, I really, I'm not going to say too much. Uh, basically, Dantley goes to uh, get a suit to the samurai tailor and uh, i really don't like these sketches but for some reason uh, they work better when buck henry is the foil to the samurai this was one of the more enjoyable ones i'm still not fond of these though yeah me either this one was pretty tame compared to the others he seemed a little toned down actually um but it was still pretty ho-hum it's just the, the whole thing relies on him but you're right the buck henry does pull it up because he brings that Brings that weird energy. Yeah, I found the best parts were, you know, pretending to cut stuff with the sword, and then all of a sudden the vest appears. It's just those psych act where you just do something underneath the table, and then, oh, pull it up, it's the finished product. So our next sketch is uh, Talk Back with Frank Nolan. It's a TV call-in show. He suggests the topic for the week, and the topic to talk about that week is federally supported municipal bonds. And he gives 10 phone lines to call. This is Buck Henry. Um, and nobody calls. So he keeps suggesting more and more topics they can talk about, and they get slightly more controversial each time. And uh, he starts throwing out his unorthodox uh, political opinions to garner interest. Nobody does call in to talk to poor Frank, though. One call does come in, and it uh, it only rings once. One of his uh, topics that he throws out is Soviet communism. Let's give it a chance. At the end of the sketch, Gilda comes out as his wife and escorts him off. I really love this. I thought this was perfect for Buck Henry and actually would be a good piece to one day give uh, Matt to try. <laughs> Loved it. Yeah, I, I I think, hands down, this was my favorite sketch of the night. It also, to me, that sketch also felt what we'd see a lot more Saturday Night Live sketches to become. Just that slightly absurd, but still grounded, I guess, mm -hmm. in that tone. Yeah. And like, like It was slightly over the top. But yeah, uh, you were mentioning Matt, but that was also a sketch you could easily see in, uh, in later years, you know, Will Ferrell doing. Buck is so good in this. I thought he was awesome. The way he did, it's such a the neurotic energy just escalates and escalates and his confidence just keeps going down and down and down. And every time he ups the stakes, the threading together of the, the previous absurdity. And the last time I was hoping so much, once he melded in that Soviet thing, I was like, please do the phones one more time. And he busted it out. <laughs> I cracked up when that last time he did the phones. And he looks at each and every one of them when he addresses the numbers. <laughs> oh, holy shit. Yeah, I was in stitches. Yeah. This is one of my favorite sketches of the season. Yeah. He plays a good lovable loser. And and Sean, you're right. This is sort of a foreshadowing, not just for the, the tone and the way it goes so absurd, but also just the... Uh, the political discourse, which later Saturday Night Live really leans a lot heavier on. So we now go to a commercial. It's for Dell Stater's 99 Cent Toad Ranch, and it's Kenny Slungard, played by Dan Aykroyd. He's at a Western fam a Western themed family restaurant with good service and prices where you can get a good cheap family meal. And it's because all they serve is toad. Uh, it's the best toad steak you'll ever eat. 
Buck Henry and Jane Curtin are playing customers, and they say the famous lines. Jane says, that's tasty toad. And Buck says, I can't think of a time when I've had better toad. Then Gilda and Lorraine come in and sing as uh, jingle singers in the Western-themed garb. Um, this wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. It definitely was a, a vehicle for Dan Aykroyd. Y- even the end, with where he mentions, all, 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 I like them raw. You can even hear the audience just like groan, like in disgust. Uh, I like this okay. I thought it was pretty weird, and I like it when uh, when they get weird. Buck with the food hanging out of his mouth was fantastic. He had that ready to go. Fucking taking out the torch and just going at the the grill. Uh, I got I uh, yeah. This I thought it was pretty funny. I liked it. Do you think Ackeridge just? comfortable doing these at this point where he's definitely without a doubt doing these sort of shill bits better than anyone but i mean that does stand to reason i think they're probably successful you know they uh i I think they're probably a hit with the with the young demo if you will uh because of just they're they're so high energy and sometimes they can just be so over the top um and i think that's uh, a, a core ingredient of saturday night live you, you hear other stories about Dan Aykroyd, and he just, even though he looks like he could play a straight man really well, like he has the build, the physicality and the build, he's just so quirky and everything. Like, it's almost if you took a picture frame and tilted it sideways, and that's how he sees the reality of what people should be. Like, it's just offbeat. And like I said, the, the joke about eating toads, like, only mm. he would have come up with that. Like, nobody else would have been like, oh, yeah, what about eating toads? Yeah, I wonder if he has, like, a you know, three bags in his like three paper bags with different flashcards in it. And like this week was cowboy toad restaurant. And yeah. <laughs> he does, he did, so. <laughs> he's like, he, he's playing Mad Libs and then goes and writes <laughs> <laughs> next uh, buck. Henry comes out and introduces Gordon Lightfoot. And I'll just give a little bio on old Gordon Vanguard of the folk pop and folk rock scenes of the 1960s and seventies. He get into singing. Uh, mu- he get into singing as a child uh, competing at local competitions and different events. And in the early 60s, his music started to gain some notoriety as some of it was being covered with some degree of success by others. And he churned out just tons of albums and singles in the late 60s, with most doing really, really well. His music could sort of range from the sort of generic love song with a touch of sadness to topical current events to just plain old Canadiana. Sundown was his first number one hit in the U.S. Now, in a weird twist of fate, Sundown was actually written about Lightfoot's girlfriend at the time, who was the lady who was later held criminally responsible for John Belushi's death. His most memorable song was The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. I love that song. It's fantastic. His album Summertime Dream was due to come out in June of 76, and that actually featured Edmund Fitzgerald, If You Could Read My Mind, and one of my favorite songs, Race Among the Ruins. It would be quite successful and do well in the uh, in this appearance. He does Summertime Dream, and it hit number 12 on the uh, Billboard charts. I'm a really big Gordon Lightfoot fan. It's tough for me not to like anything about this, except for the fact that of all the songs on the album, summertime dream would not be the first one i'd pick but i really i don't know i just uh, i like gordon i love this i uh i thought it was great and what's really you know he's a very capable performer because this performance is just as good as a studio one which would have taken you know a million takes to do possibly so uh this gets a thumbs up for me i liked it too i certainly don't know as much about gordon lightfoot uh as you do uh, but I, I know I like him. I like his vibe. You know, he's, uh, he's, he's got a lot of broad appeal. He, the old folks like the gentle songs. He just looks like he knows where to get bad drugs. 
he, he gives off a little bit of a fringy vibe that I think keeps his uh, his appeal pretty high. And I just like distinct voices. I mean, I like Rush and the Smashing Pumpkins. So uh, a unique voice is always going to work for me. Good song. I, I just like liked his pants. Yeah. That big, big, cool. big rose right there on the jeans. It kept drawing my eye. I couldn't look away. I mean, I, I don't think I could add more than what was already said by uh, Matt and yourself. Like, he, he did a really good job. I'm familiar with this, uh, like many of his songs, but yeah, Summertime Dream, uh, interesting choice to to make. Mm. Maybe just because it was the title track of the album that like that might be the only logic there. But I mean, you could read my mind in it. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't think he could sing Edmund Fitzgerald on a comedy show. You know, <laughs> I once joked about doing that karaoke at somebody's wedding and just completely ruining the wedding. <laughs> Um, so we yeah, then go to uh, another uh, another in-show commercial for the Polaroid SX70. Garrett Morris is showing pictures taking of, taken of the crew, uh, Emmy-winning members of the crew. Gilda interrupts him, and she's sitting up on the camera. I sort of wonder if this is a, an inside joke about the technician strike that's going on, because Gilda has to work the camera. Um, but uh, actually, the strike might be over at this point. Regardless, uh, just a quick ad. Didn't find it funny as uh, as funny as some of the other ones, but whatever. I, I didn't really think this was necessary. It was almost just, it was too, too inside jokey for me. Cause I think you're right about the technician strike part. And I don't know. I, I think they, it was almost airing their dirty laundry. It's like the, the general audience, not going to, that doesn't appeal to the general audience. Is what I'm trying to say. And it was, I don't know. It felt like a weird waste of time. So now we go to weekend update and it starts with Chevy on the phone. And he says, if you think hot fudge sauce is too fattening, we can use yogurt. I believe he's talking about, uh, licking it having it licked off him um his intro is i'm chevy chase and i like to squeeze things um just a couple quick bits from the beginning the from the first half uh he shows a picture of um ronald reagan trying to remove his right eyebrow allegedly um quotes from an underwater film crew who attacked a shark and he uh doesn't like an underwater voice the annual put a bag over their head and they all look alike pageant it's a picture of a bunch of women in uh, two-piece bathing suits with uh, what looks like bags over their heads and again he said uh, there was no winner um so far not great um didn't get too many laughs out of me weekend update is so flat for me lately like it's really struggling in this later half of the season and you know it wasn't always this bad but i don't know it's and, you know, yeah, I'm sure a part of it, and we say all the time, a part of it is the topical humor, but it's also just not funny. It's just not funny. And I was, and I don't think you get that bag on the head joke on the air today either. A lot of jokes just sort of went over my head. The ones that worked were the ones that are like, oh, yeah, I sort of got an idea that uh, present Ford isn't the brightest, but the rest of it was just sort of like, huh, okay then. Mm -hmm. I think it's a weird thing. Like, I think Chevy works better when he's playing like a confused kind of goofball. But I think these type of jokes work better with a deadpan delivery. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing the next few uh, years of Weekend Update because I think it does take a more deadpan approach. Uh, now we have a re-airing of a commercial from earlier in the year. It's the uh, one of my favorites, actually. The Germisol house deodorizer or home deodorizer. It's the big giant... <laughs> five foot roll on deodorant that you can apply so your house doesn't smell like uh, like liver and onions from the night before uh, i love this the first time still gets a big laugh out of me lorraine's hair is a sin mm. well, it was the first time i saw the commercial and i thought it was quite funny yeah i yeah. liked it a lot 
I had to double take again this time to make sure that was Lorraine. Yeah, it was. That's that's a look indeed for her. <laughs> it works for the character, but uh, yeah. So the second half has a. Uh, Chevy as Duncan Ebersol, which incidentally is Dick Ebersol's real name, narrating a video uh, about the Patty Hearst trial and what it is. It looks like an old health video or something. There's food and then there's a medical checkup. Francisco Franco's doctor is on strike and no one can guarantee how long he'll be dead. And then a bit of a sight gag with a picture of a parrot sitting on a man's head. And Chevy says that a parrot uh, gave birth to a man's head. That was the only laugh I think I got in the second half. It's more than I got. I didn't like any of it. And I hate when Chevy does those voiceovers. I hate them. Darn That's me. all I could think of when he was doing the voiceover. I was like, Matt must be just like, <laughs> grinding his teeth right now. <laughs> yeah. No Emily Latella this time, though. Our next sketch is a crowd audition for a film. Buck Henry plays a director who was very involved in casting his movie. And Chevy plays, I guess, his casting director. And they're looking for a crowd. So basically, everyone involved in the show and their brother come out on stage. Also in that crowd, according to the Internet Movie, movie Database, is Judith Light, who played Angela Bauer on Who's the Boss. Um, but, the, I mean, the band is there, the cast is there. And he gets, uh, Buck Henry gets them to act out certain crowd scenes, including, like, um, I think uh, aliens in the desert and uh, they, they act out an earthquake and stuff like that. And Buck's not happy with the crowd. He gets them to do the munchkins bit. Um, and then he asks them for a photo and a photo comes back. It's just a big crowd shot. And then he asks them for their telephone number and a, he gets the phone book. And then he asks if they're able to do lynching. And this is the part where my mind says, oh God, I hope he's not there. And yes, he was. So Dan Aykroyd ties a noose and they start to put Garrett's head in the noose as everybody yells and cheers. Uh, this was really, really, really bad. Um, it wasn't a good sketch to begin with, but it ended on one of the sourest notes I can remember up to this point. Oh, my jaw hit the floor. I was like, holy shit, I can't believe they just did it. Yeah, the crowd stuff I just thought was pretty stupid. That really caught me off guard. I mean, I like the show to be edgy, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know if I would have signed off on that now. Yeah, that's the wrong edge. <laughs> I, I actually was liking the, the sketch a bit up to, of course, that point. I thought the giant group did a really good job of okay, this is what's going to do. And everybody, like, like I thought, oh, wow, if they, if they were casting background acting, like, that, I would definitely cast them. Like, every bit they were doing worked. <laughs> like, I thought, I like, almost felt like they actually was the most rehearsed sketch that was done this, this week. And then, yeah, when they were, like, a lynching. And I was like, nah, it's going to end somewhere. And then it just kept going. This wasn't acceptable back then. And, and I mean, on top of it, it's not, it wasn't funny. Yeah, this was a this was a low point. Yeah. All right. On another uh, on a lighter note, we uh, we go to Lauren Michaels, um, and this is he's upping the ante from his Beatles offer from a month ago. Now he mentions he's heard from the Monkees, Hermans, Hermits, uh, etc., and he's upping the offer from three thousand dollars to three thousand two hundred dollars. And they'll pick the Beatles up in a taxi, bring them to the Crosstown Motor Inn, which has round-the-clock elevator service, a shoe-shining cloth, and no charge for room-to-room -room calling, and a leisurely checkout time of 10. Now, some stories out there say that this was actually the episode that the Beatles watched and considered going down for. 
Uh, regardless, this was good. It's certainly not a patch on the original, but uh, I really enjoyed this, and uh, it's odd to see Lorne twice in one episode. Yeah, it certainly wasn't as effective as the first one. It was just kind of the same thing. That's interesting. I, I always thought people said that about John and Paul about the first one, but I mean, how does how the hell does anybody know? I guess Paul knows. Our next bit is we go to uh, Not For Ladies Only, and it's more uh, Baba Wawa. Baba's guest is Lorraine playing uh, Lena Wertmuller who was the first woman to get an Oscar nomination for Best Director. And this is actually not a bad impression of uh, Lena Wertmuller. Um, they talk about a fake movie she's making. In this one, every time she said Weena instead of Lena, I, I, I laughed. I was just like a, a stupid kid joke. But for some reason, the sound of her saying Weena made me laugh. Other than that, fair impressions. And Matt, I may have, uh, I may have figured out the uh, Gilda Radner versus Sherry O'Terry, Barbara Walters conundrum what do you mean sherry o'terry does a um, far more realistic barbara walters and it, it actually looks and sounds like barbara walters <laughs> this I... one is just the complete caricature of someone who can't say the letters r and w sherry o'terry's barbara walters is one of if not my favorite thing she ever did i fucking think it's hilarious she's so intense and <laughs> it just cracks me up i can't wait to watch them uh, we got a long way to go oh, but yeah. anyway maybe i'll just watch them independently because why should i starve myself it's not like it's a scarce commodity it's just comedy i can access it at my pleasure anyway <laughs> i hate gilda radner's barbara walters i just don't think it's funny but to ignore that i loved lorraine newman in this sketch it was very much i kept thinking of dieter from sprockets they both heard mike myers nailed the german thing and so did she i thought she was fantastic you could see where everybody else started to spoof Gilda Radner's Barbara Walters for any uh, imitation. Mm -hmm. Like there was always that one character in DuckTales, the, the reporter oh, yeah. would be Barbara Walters. And she too was very more really accentuated on that. Just couldn't pronounce the, the, the W's and the R's or. Yeah. It's just, it, it's the difference between a cartoon and an actually really strong impression. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I didn't know that this late, the, the the director who actually existed i thought they just created the character just to be this over-the-top avant-garde uh, film director she actually comes back she does this impression a few times yeah uh, but yeah she was the first woman to get a, a nomination as a director of a uh, full-length non-fiction movie or you know what i mean like a full-length film an yeah. actual movie movie right oh, cool fantastic i like i said I, I thought they were just trying to make it the most absurd andy warhol-esque character and they're like well let's do this that's who i thought she was doing at first before they they introduced her and they, you could just see her i thought she was doing andy warhol yeah our next bit is a gary weiss film and it's buck henry at a store asking shoppers what they're looking for in a toilet seat some shoppers are ridiculously specific about what they want. One talks about ideal comfort. Um, and the manager points out that it's against the law to exchange a toilet seat. This is more Gary Weiss. Uh, I like this one. He's getting back to what I really liked about his stuff. Yeah, I, I thought it was a, a pretty well put together little skit. Like, especially that one guy, that weird guy who started talking about the fact that he needs a comfort for the morning and then a comfort for the evening. Buck Henry going, do you need two different toilet seats? You could change them. I loved it. What an excellent use of Buck Henry. Do, do, do you think he was scripted? How scripted was Buck Henry? Because he seemed like he was just being Buck Henry, talking to people. I thought he was just off the cuff. I thought a couple of those like people who were talking were trying too hard to be funny or like they try to feed him bits. 
I thought his, his stuff was just sort of off the cuff, and it, it, it worked. I love Buck Henry. What a, he's got such a cool energy. This is the second Gary Weiss film to appear on a Buck Henry show, and he was in the other one, too, if you remember, Matt, looking for the funniest person in town. Oh, yes, that was good. Irvington, New York, I think it was called. <laughs> so we now have a Chiron. The caption reads, uh, this person has no redeeming qualities. We then go to looks at books. Jane Curtin hosting. Uh, she welcomes Henry T. Rudin, played by Buck Henry, who plays a sex therapist who has written a book about uh, his work at the clinics. Now, he's a sex therapist who helps uh, release people from their inhibitions, but yet he's so much inhibited he won't say the word sex. I thought this was really funny. Another another hit. Yeah, he does a great job. And, and you know, like, <laughs> leading it on. It was yeah, it was a really good, another good strong uh, uh, skit, and again something that you go that you're gonna see that formula pop up again throughout the decades of, of Saturday Night. Yeah, he nailed it. He's got you know he brings so much of himself and all these different characters. It's uh, he's he's really good at this. Uh, I wish I wish there was more of him. And I always love Jane Curtin and looks at books. She always wears those hot leather boots. <laughs> I find sometimes their sketches just didn't know how they were going to end and sort of would cut really quickly or just change a topic really quickly. Mm -hmm. And I felt this had really had a, a really good, strong middle beginning end, and just him just, you know, using his hand to, to, to simulate, simulate what he was talking about was just, yeah, a, a great way to end. Yeah. The, the universal finger through the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I could have seen Anthony. Anthony Perkins would have been great in this sketch, too. Yes. Yeah, good point, yeah. He would have been more handsy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then we go to Gordon Lightfoot, and he sings Spanish Moss. Uh, this is one of his slower bits, and it was never released as a single. Like the first one this is another one I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have done, but this is, I think, the one recorded performance of Spanish Moss, I think, or I read something along them lines. Um, not a bad song, like Gordon, but the the first one was far better. After he uh, finishes Spanish Moss, he starts to uh, starts to go on to play another song, which sounds like he's going to start in Sundown. But Buck Henry cuts him off and says they have to go on with the show. Lightfoot asks if he can do one more, but Buck Henry is kind of a little irritated, says they don't have time, and he calls out Samurai Futaba to cut his strings. I was really pissed off about that, actually. Depriving us of the hit. Going on, I, I I don't have much to add about the musical segment. I thought the song is a. I didn't really like the song. I still like his his energy, okay, but I guess this is why I'm not a big Gordon Lightfoot fan. Uh, he looked really his incredulous look at the camera at the end. I thought was pretty hammy. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't practice that. <laughs> we now are uh, introduced to Garrett Morris, who is standing in front of a, a blue background with a pianist and a cellist. And he sings And De Music, an old Schubert song. The audience is completely confused what is going on here. Um, some of them are giggling. So he's singing this song in very operatic tones. Um, it's very out of context for SNL. As he starts the second verse, a Chiron comes up giving us an explanation. And it says Garrett went to the producers and asked if he could sing one of his favorite songs on the show. They agreed, thinking he'd do my, my Girl or Devil with a Blue Dress on, but instead he does Schubert. 
And uh, the producers couldn't really go back on it because Garrett uh, carries a knife. And they also, they did the con- uh, the Chiron to explain everything and also uh, so people wouldn't think they were watching PBS. Uh, Garrett ends this song with a uh, really high-pitched falsetto. Whoa, yeah. This was stellar. I, I thought this was brilliant. I've watched it maybe six or seven times over again uh laughed at the whole thing i thought it was great too what a what a nice voice a very charming voice Beautiful. And, yeah yeah i, and, I was um, impressed by his singing for sure and uh i i just like i've started i like garrett morris so much as a person that whenever he gets to shine i'm just really impressed that keep that article uh what was that with the hollywood reporter yes i believe so yeah i sent um i sent matt an interview with uh garrett morris it's a really good interview very <laughs> articulate very humanizing um yeah i thought it was fantastic so i just like this guy and it was great to see him do this and the uh, the star warsy text scroll was uh was really funny this was a big hit for me i i kept waiting for uh during that that the scroll coming up going waiting for that like we sort of had to let him do this because you know that lynching gag oh yeah yeah I think they, yeah, they just had to, I, I found that they, they let it go on so long before there was a Chiron. They made us wait for the laugh, and, and I'm glad they did, because I laughed probably ten times as hard as I would have. Only other time I saw Garrett Morris was him selling a com- like a camera commercial. So when he came out and started singing, I had no idea what was going on. I was like, is he just like the really, really straight man that just does regular things? Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah, I was like, well, first he just talked about a camera, and now he is singing opera. Yeah, but you're right. Like as soon as this, this, the scroll came up, I was like, oh my goodness, fantastic. Yeah, he doesn't get many opportunities to shine, but he consistently shines when he gets them. You know. Mm. So we have a Chiron come up on someone that says they're unarmed but dangerous. Our next bit, uh, Buck Henry introduces Michael O'Donohue, who comes out uh, with uh, two women. And they do their impression of Tony, Orlando, and Don putting, uh, getting needles shoved in their eyes. This is a, a variation of the uh, Mike Douglas getting needles shoved in his eyes that we saw before. Um, again, this was this made this made me laugh. Yeah, I laughed too. It's just this is what I want to see out of the end of Saturday Night Live. Just go all out, <laughs> do something stupid. Uh, yeah, I didn't see the previous sketch of uh, of uh, Michael Donald Donahue doing doing this. So when Buck Henry sold Michael O'Donoghue as being a really good impressionist, I was actually expecting a really good impressionist to come out and do it. So I was like, okay, like, interesting. Like, all right, they got, because I, I didn't even pay attention that, yes, he's one of the writers of the show. But yeah, like, Buck Henry sold me on this, like, okay, I'm going to watch a really good impressionist. And I'm like, okay. And then that happens. I was like, nah, clever. <laughs> Yeah, and they're still on the floor writhing as Buck comes out to do the goodbyes. And the cast comes out and helps them all up. I did notice in my quest to track Dan Aykroyd at the goodbyes, he doesn't seem to be there this <laughs> this night. Um, everyone else is, though. Um, so, yeah, the goodbye section, uh, that worked for me. It was fun. Uh, I think Belushi maybe put uh, put Buck Henry up on his shoulders and walked around a bit. And it yeah, it was one. Belushi. I was looking for Aykroyd, too. I couldn't find him. So Buck Henry will be back again many times. So we'll see Buck actually fairly soon. Musical guest. This is Gordon Lightfoot's only appearance as a musical guest. 
The Uber Canadian Lightfoot continues to release music and is really on the he's on the Rolodex short dial uh, speed dial for Canadian events like Olympics and government things and all this sort of stuff. He was still releasing albums as of 2020 at the age of 83, I believe, and his last tour had to be canceled due to COVID. Uh, he did release an album called Solo in 2020, and it's entirely just him with no accompaniments at all. And yeah, he's just a he's a Canadian elder statesman of entertainment, uh, postage stamps, statues, Order of Canada, and uh, 82 and still working. We have a our first sort of departure of a not ready for primetime player tonight. Tonight we 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 lose George Coe, sort of. Now George Coe, it's his last official appearance, his last sort of live interacty appearance. The reason I've classified him as a not ready for primetime player is because on the first episode he was credited as a not ready for primetime player. So tonight he was a security guard at the beginning and he, we will see him back later. But this is the last appearance he has in a season where he was credited as a not ready for primetime player. So the general consensus on George Coe is that he was just hired to do to play older men. Um, and he was only, he was only 46 here. He looks like a 70. But uh, yeah, that's a hard 46. Yeah, yeah. But it was realized that he, he wasn't needed. It was actually funnier when uh, when the other guys did it. Um, plus, he was busy as hell elsewhere. Um, after he left, he, he did come back. He comes back in, uh, 1977 for a pre-recorded ad and he makes an appearance in, uh, 1986. He's made uh, tons of appearances on, on the biggest shows of the eighties and nineties. Um, and a few movies as well. He voiced a bunch of characters in, in various star Wars shows on cartoons and stuff. His last major role in what most people of our generation would would know him as is woodhouse and archer and uh, he passed away in 2015 at the age of 86 now for me george coe's run was short not particularly memorable he did what he was hired to do and he did it well um and he went out on a high note with this sketch as far as the most memorable things for me it's probably uh his high points would be this one and he did the walter winchell in the desi arnaz untouchables now i know sean you're only seeing very small section of what he did, but uh, Matt, uh, George Coe has been with us throughout. Um, any any thoughts on him? No, no. Listen, I might as well be Sean here. George mm -hmm. Coe did not register with me at all. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel a little embarrassed because I've been watching the whole the show time, the show the whole time. But I don't know who this guy is. Mm -hmm. He's really only made about five or six appearances. Um, but, he's not uh, been credited in like the uh, in the title sequences after the first episode. So is he just in like the scrolling credits at the end? I find it odd that I that I never picked up on him. I've been watching these the whole time with you. No, he was only credited in the first one and never credited again, but was still sort of a, under contract as a not ready for primetime player throughout the season. Music. How are we? How would we rate the music tonight, Matt and Sean? I'll defer to you folks first. I guess you know if you have this title moss would you really want to be selling that as part of your opening to sell your album <laughs> like gordon lightfoot did a great job being gordon lightfoot like it's clearly why he still obviously he does he, he's good at what he does but uh, you know other than the giant rose on his pants i i was almost tempted just to like fast forward through the song or at least speed it up a bit just to get over it. so the musical choices just didn't click with me see with a guy like gordon lightfoot like i like I'm not looking for the deep cuts. I'm not a big Gordon Lightfoot fan. I just want 
the Gordon Lightfoot experience. And, and he gave me that. So it's fine. It was cool to see him on Saturday Night Live because he's such a household name here in Canada. And, you know, growing up, it's like Gordon Lightfoot. And with Grandma Grandma Ryan's house, it was Gordon Lightfoot and Rita McNeil. And, uh, but he was, he was always on the list. Anne Murray was uh, another one. <laughs> Thank God Grandma Ryan wasn't into Nana Muscuri. Didn't seem to be anyway. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. Uh, it was fine. I'm not going to listen to Gordon Lightfoot tomorrow unless it comes up randomly on my Spotify playlist, which I heavily curate. So that's just not going to happen. Um, so, yeah, but, I, you know, I'm OK with the experience. I wouldn't want it every week. I'm a huge Gordon Lightfoot fan. Um, these are just not too, you know, they're, I understand they're released because they're on the album. Um, even with on the album, there's better tracks. Um, that being said, the performance is great. The pants are awesome. Um, yeah, it's Gordon. I'm happy with that. So uh, rating the host, fellas, what do you think of Mr. Henry? Like Henry is one of my preferred hosts of season one. He is himself and he brings himself to every character in a way that uh, certainly not all hosts can do, uh, but he pulls it off. So I think he's great at this sketch comedy thing. His nervous energy, uh, I think, is fantastic. And he has this almost slowly ascending explosiveness to him that I, that I really relate to. I'm a big Buck Henry fan. Really enjoyed him in this episode. Yeah, I liked him a lot. I could see why he, um, even in just one season, he shows up twice. The man did a great job with every skit he was in. Uh, I, I think Buck Henry did it again. He was funny. He was engaged in the show. He's He's got a neat little, I said this last week, but he's got a neat little persona in the SNL universe that's almost a, a character outside of his 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 himself uh monologue was great talk back was great not big on futaba but he certainly elevates it yeah his collaboration being in that gary weiss film was really good um i really like buck henry as a host and i'm, I'm glad we're going to see him more and more he is used okay. very well sorry i didn't mean to cut you off again no, go ahead. Uh, but he i did think the show used him very well also there was uh a lot of sketches i thought written with him in mind i think he probably works really well with the writers he being a writer himself i'm sure he's a treat to have the worst for you guys uh, i think the lynching scene uh yeah that was that was pretty shocking uh but i understand what that that they think and i mean they wanted to shock for right or for wrong that chevy chase technicolor thing was the worst for me i hated mm. that part those were the two i i i had sort of shortlisted it down to i did go with the crowd audition though it, it was terrible uh just absolutely cringeworthy and what was your best of the night fellas either it was either him as the, the phone call host or him as the sex therapist both both of them were the strong ones were the buck henry skits but uh oh i i think i think in the end i would have to go, go with the phone just just his last little rant at the very end it was perfect i mean i have to agree i love talk back it's where it was probably it might be my favorite sketch of the first season so far uh, i related to it i felt it i loved it i, I it took me through a whirlwind of emotions uh, including laughter and shit. Yeah. Great stuff. Great writing. Great performance. As much as I loved sh uh, the talk back bit, I went with uh, Garrett Morris singing Schubert. I, I thought that was, that was just too funny for me. Who's your star of the night? I know it is not necessarily, uh, I shouldn't say it's against the rules, uh, but it's, I, I tend to try, I try not to choose the host, but tonight I must choose the host. Buck Henry K 
carried this show for me. Uh, he he has to be my star choice of the night. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, I concur. Buck Henry all the way was was fantastic. I'm a little pickier on on the rules on this one. Not the rules. There's no rules. Um, but I, I like to keep it to a primetime player if I can. And uh, I went with Garrett. Um, I just thought Garrett had uh, enough in that Schubert bit. He was a good sport in the lynching, I suppose. He was my favorite cast member this episode for sure. Although really tight, I really can't overstate how much I enjoyed Lorraine Newman's German. And if it wasn't Garrett, I, I would have went for Buck. And I, I, in retrospect, maybe I should have, but whatever. It's too late. Your choice was made. That's no right. Time. I took my hand off the piece. Um, uh, so overall, this was a far, far better episode than quite a few of this season. Henry is a great host uh, for what I like to see on shows like this. Um, some of his bits probably could have been done by anyone, but I can't see them doing nearly as well as, as he does them, and that includes some of the cast. The Beatles bit was, was, was funny, not as good as the first. Update was very weak. The cast was very evenly dispersed this week, which I like, and it was a very light week for Chevy, which I also like. Gary Weiss was uh, more the stuff I like from Gary Weiss, um, and definitely saw more Lorne on this episode than we usually do. Um, I gave this one a 7 out of 10. That's funny. I, I also went with a 7. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought the, the two Buck Henry skits were great, and they definitely held up for the sketches that didn't quite play as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. It was nice to see a diverse cast, because again, when I, we did Anthony Perkins, I think Dan Aykroyd showed up in only one sketch, and that was it it was it was basically the chevy chase show that that day that where yeah it was nice to see everybody doing something and yeah i gave it a seven even with things uh not working sometimes the only thing i really felt overstayed its welcome was that technicolor chevy chase bit which just kept going unnecessarily uh the beatles bit i I didn't love again but it was fast uh and everything else really just got to the point quickly. So I thought it was all pretty sharp. There was certainly some edge to it. There was certainly some weirdness, some people doing what they do best, like Dan Aykroyd at the Frog Grill house and um, shit, like a revelation in Lorraine Newman for me. I thought the music was fine. Buck Henry is a Saturday Night Live star for me now. Uh, I give this episode a 7.5. And that brings our average to 7.2. And the folks over at IMDb gave this one a 7.3. So we're, we're very close on that one. Holy cow. Yeah. yeah. I like the fact that we're, we're always under them. Like we're a little more like, well, we really need to be entertained guys. <laughs> well, we, we were, uh, Matt and I were, uh, I can say this now it's, it's out there now. Actually it would be anyway. Matt and I were over on Desi Arnaz. We like Desi more than the internet. Oh, yeah, that's the only time though, I believe so far. <laughs> So far. So far, yeah. IMDb ranked this one as the sixth best of the year. And as of July of this year, it was sitting at 197 best of all time. I mean, that tracks with me. That sounds pretty good. Uh, I really think this was one of my more enjoyed episodes of the first season. Um, I just, I really can't say enough about how much it matters that a sketch doesn't overstay its welcome. It keeps the whole show fresh. Just one shitty sketch that goes on for too long can drag the whole thing down especially if it's if it's misplaced i mean it's hard to place a sketch like that at all you gotta put it in the middle somewhere but you can't put it around update it becomes a whole thing it's so important that they get to the point 
then they not overstay their welcome. And this show benefited from that so much, I think, because it just kept moving even when it didn't work. And that's why I liked it yeah. so much. So, uh, yeah, Sean, I want to thank you again for joining us. This was great, and hopefully we can have you back. Uh, we'll, we'll be doing Season 2 in a few weeks, um, and uh, hopefully we can get you back uh, early in Season 2. Uh, yeah, I definitely would love to do more. Uh, it's great to it's great to go to watch these shows and just things that I would never seen before. Like, mm-hmm. didn't know who Buck Henry was until a few days ago. Yeah, I definitely will check out some of his other stuff that he's done. Absolutely. And Matt, thanks again as always. My pleasure. Love being here with you every Saturday night. <laughs> so our next episode will feature uh, some a couple of stars that are making returns for us. Elliot Gould and uh, Leon Redbone are coming back. And then we have Harlan Collins and Joyce Everson in as a musical guest as well. So episode 22 should be, uh, by all accounts, or by all predictions on my end, it should be a great one. I like Elliot Gould. I, I liked him before. I'm looking forward to him again. Yeah, you remember our... Uh... Our old friend D said, I give off Elliot Gould vibes, IRL. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And uh, our buddy Chili will be joining us for that one. Chili will be back. He's done Raquel. Well, he's done Raquel Welch and Jill Cordner. <laughs> Atta boy, Chili. Good job. <laughs> well, I look he's... forward to listening to the episode. That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hear the thoughts on that. That's pretty blue. <laughs> he's, he's on to, to Elliot Gould now. Oh, that Chili. <laughs> and he holds a goal. Um <laughs> but until then we'll be ironing roses onto our pants as we wait for the phones to ring here in s and hell